Hi everyone, welcome back to the 12th episode of UCC's Talking Pictures podcast. I am your host Shannon and I am delighted to announce that today here with me is an actor who is as charming on screen as they are off screen and that is the amazing Aina Hardwick. I'd say one of Ireland's most outstanding actors at the moment. I'm so happy to have him here today. Um, I'm just such a massive fan of his work so I suppose we'll dig into it. Aina, how are you getting on? Very well, thanks. That was that was the kindest intro I've ever gotten. I'll take that now. Thank you. <laughs> so I suppose we'll start straight away with the basics. How did you get into acting? The kind of longer answer is like when I was very small, seven or eight, I probably showed a bit of an interest in it, in kind of performing and acting the Egypt a bit. And then I wasn't in classes when I was very young or anything like that, but kind of found my way into it when I was 11 or 12. I joined a youth theatre in Cork in the Gage School of Acting and then I joined a youth theatre in the Cork School of Music and that was kind of it, you know, I was like doing other things at the time. I was playing a bit of football, playing guitar, things like that, but that eventually just kind of everything else kind of fell to the wayside and I ended up spending a lot of my time doing that as a teenager. Uh, and I was very lucky. I had like I had a few professional kind of opportunities as a kid just by chance. There was a film happening in Cork when I was 11, maybe, called The Eclipse. And Conor McPherson co-wrote that with Billy Roach and directed it. And uh, it was amazing. Like, it was a really surreal thing. I spent maybe two weeks in Cove when I was 11, getting to miss school and film a movie. Like, it was all, I thought that was it now. Set for life and then obviously had many years of not doing anything like that. So um, yeah, I kind of had an early opportunity there. Did a play with Kirk Durkin when I was around the same age. So just a few experiences like that, that kind of where I realized I, I wanted to do it and I loved it if I, if I could get the chance. And then did lots and lots of auditions as a teenager and didn't get any of them. So it was kind of like a, it was a peaks and peaks and troughs, but that's how I got into it. Then I was in School of Music Youth Theatre uh, as I say, from kind of the age of like 14 up and just, we did Shakespeare, we did Greek plays, we did, got to just do amazing stuff with really brilliant teachers. So yeah, that felt like a bit of an immersion into it. And then I ended up going to drama school when I was 18. Actually, having mentioned drama school, I remember once that you mentioned in an interview with the University Times that one element of normal people you found really relatable was the adjustment people had to come to terms with when they were coming to college. Like often I think people come to college expecting it to be a certain way and it's often nothing like that, whether it's positive or negative. What was it like moving from a rural area like Glanmire to inner city Dublin? Uh, I find it tough for sure. Like I think, the, I think probably why that book chimed with so many people, not just of our generation, but of, you know, any really is that those are always kind of those are fairly eternal things I suppose like leaving home and you know finding your feet in a new city I found it really tricky definitely I found it kind of I loved it but was also like it's just a sort of different quality of life and you miss home and you miss all of the familiarity of that as well so I was really glad I did it but it was um it was definitely a challenge and then you you know and you spend enough time doing something and you get used to it and you spend enough time away from home and you start to kind of see the positives of it as well. So, yeah, I really chimed with that when I read that book, I suppose probably three or four years after that. It was, I think, the year I finished college, I read it. 
and it did it was bizarre like every page you kind of go oh this feels very you know close to home and this feels like a very universal experience yeah which i think is the magic of the writing is it seems to it's very very specific in you know how well drawn those characters are but because it's so specific it sort of allows all of us to see ourselves in it maybe but yeah it meant that that was this that was kind of a strange job to step into because sort of felt like it was a story that was unfolding as we were living it you know what I mean it was like very much of our time as we were making it so I don't know if I don't know if I'll ever get something that feels that kind of of its moment again but it was great what you said about the relatability aspect like I think even the characters like specifically the character Rob even if you weren't him in secondary school or you were him I feel like everyone knows a Rob like I feel like that's something you really nailed about the role at the start he's like very insecure one of the lads but then we see in the bar scene with Connell is that he's actually aware of his limits how did you develop a character who is very relatable yet has so many deeper layers to him as the story unfolds yeah I'm, I mean d- definitely it starts with the writing like the writing was so so good that you it doesn't really feel like you're inventing much like they've given you the kind of character in the backstory very clearly and then yeah I, I guess I recognized a lot of sort of people a lot of myself in in that role and in all the roles in the book you know I suppose they they all felt quite familiar so yeah I think it's always a mix of you know you you start with the writing you take what's there you use your imagination to fill in the rest and eventually you end up in some some place between what's on the page and your own experience. I think you can never get away from your own experience. Like it will, it will uh, inevitably just be a version of yourself, Uh, not a version of yourself, but it'll have a a lot of your own experience in it. It was kind of started from there. And then we were lucky. It was a sort of a long shoot for maybe three months. So there was time kind of talk about these things with Lenny or Hetty and uh, with the rest of the cast and it just felt like we were all in the same kind of world you know what I mean which is all, I think really important when you're making anything that you all, you all sort of know the tone and you all know the characters quite well so it meant that when we got to do scenes like that one in the pub I don't know it was like it, it almost felt like a deja vu like I'd never been in that pub or had that conversation but I had had similar conversations you know and so there was a there was a strange familiarity to it all. But it, yeah, it starts with great writing and then working with brilliant directors, they just give you everything you need to unlock kind of a scene, I suppose. And it was it was lovely because actually, you know, TV sometimes moves very, very quickly. Like you shoot things very, very quickly and you don't feel you have the time to really land on something. But actually, I think because this was so cinematic uh, as a TV show, they, you know, there was plenty of time given to everything. You know, we really felt like we got to kind of delve in and try all the things you wanted to try and get it wrong and go again. So, yeah, it was a joy. Was it ever like disbelieving to kind of just come out of normal people and realise that you were part of a show that turned it to be one of the biggest that year? Amazingly popular among young people in particular. Like I see it everywhere in social media all the time. Like, did you expect it to be that big when you were filming it? Um, I've like thought about this a bit I think yes I expected it to be good because again when it's like 
when when you read the scripts and they're good, when you see everyone around you's work and you know that they just feel like the characters that you pictured in the in that book, you know, that's what I felt when I saw Daisy and Paul doing it. I thought like these are the people I've been picturing. You know, I was and then a huge fan of Lenny's work. He kind of formed my like taste in cinema, I think, you know, watching his films. So I felt like it was a brilliant team, definitely. And then the the book is just so sensational and brilliant that I yeah, I expected it to work. But I suppose what the thing you can never account for, whether something is, you know, whatever its quality, is how it catches on and and captures people's imagination. Um, so you can never predict that. And I certainly didn't, especially didn't predict, you know, a pandemic as well that was going to make um, the show very poignant for people. So, no, I didn't see that bit coming. But then, I, you know, as I say, it came out March 2020. So it was March, April, I think. So there was a lot of, like, it didn't really feel like a very real experience anyway, you know, uh, which is maybe not a bad thing, actually. Maybe not a bad thing to be kind of insulated from all of that. Not that it ever felt like crazy hype or anything. It just kind of, it was just this really surreal and funny thing that was going on as we were all, you know, locked in our houses. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I actually just, it was just a lot of fun to kind of see it, you know, get out in the world and see how far it reached yeah, uh, what you said about like this all happening while you were in isolation, obviously I suppose the fan base became a bit more tangible after when everything went back into the real world. And I remember you said in an interview that basically people come up to you and tell you like, you know, this show really meant so much to me and it made a difference. But I'm wondering like on the flip side of that, what's it like having that many eyes on you in terms of like of social media? I, I just checked this morning, you have over 14,000 followers on Instagram, which is insane like like what would you consider your relationship to fame like that and like what do you think of social media and just knowing there's so many people watching you all the time I don't think about it at all I think you know if if people I suppose see what you've you know the work that you're doing and want to talk about that that's always you know that's a really amazing thing like for someone to connect with something or just be entertained and and if you come across someone, they say that to you, like, that's, a you know, an amazing thing. Um, but no, I don't think, I don't really think about it. It's never something I've, you know, uh, been interested in. It's definitely not a part of my life. Like, I can tell you that. It's not something that, like, is in any way, like, my Monday to Friday. Um, but, yeah, I, I've just always, like, I've been very lucky to do the work I've done. I, like, I've pinched myself really with, you know, what I've gotten to the last few years. So it's never really on my mind and thankfully doesn't kind of no it's there's nothing tangible to it at all I think you know but as I say if if like the fact that the things have like reached an audience and and that people are kind of like that people connect to the work or are moved by it still blows my mind every time you know you meet someone like we just had a film Lakelands released at the beginning of May and you know it's it's an Irish independent film um you know, independent film is hard at the best of times to kind of reach its audience, but this did in a big way. And like, that's been, that's kind of been going on over the last say, 12 months since it came out in um, Galway Film Land. That's just, it's been incredible to see, like, because the biggest, the biggest, one of the biggest challenges I think with making film and TV is that like, well, film especially is you could put, months or years of your life into it if you're writing or directing or producing it and then 
you know, it might not reach its audience because there's so many things that need to go right for it to, you know, find an audience. So I just pinch myself that that happens. It's, it's like, it's no small thing for a film like that to get off the ground and connect with people. Yeah, like um, I have to say, just commenting on Lakeland, Lakeland is actually, in my opinion, one of the greatest Irish films of all time. Like I was anticipating before I saw it, but like when I saw it, like it's just another level. And that is in part by your performance, um, which I'll go into in two seconds. But yeah, like when I was at Fastnet, that was the second time I saw it. Yeah. And there's like people, you know, people were literally moved to tears in the crowd. It was amazing to see. But like, what was it like being nominated for and if that for that, because that is absolutely fantastic for someone who's so young. Thank you so much. It was it was incredible. It always just feels like it's recognition for the film, and especially a film like that. Anything you do is so intertwined with everyone you work with, and that kind of sounds like a cop out, but it's not. Like the that film especially, it just sort of felt like we were all we were all singing from the same hymn sheet. We were all in the same team. So. A nomination like that and the film picked up a few uh, including for best films like that was that means the world especially in them um, in such a great few years you know yeah. it's been a bit of a dream time for Irish cinema both the sort of larger scale films like Banshees of Inishirin and then films like on Colleen Kuhn there's it's been a great few years so yeah to be to be there amongst them was was amazing yeah and as I say it's just kind of not something I've realised you can take for granted that the film will actually uh, have a life because um, the best there's incredible films that are made that you know they find an audience but it's you know it's years after or it's only in kind of retrospect that people you know sort of connect with it so yeah there's um, it's not something I take for granted definitely like uh, the performance of Lakelands, even the box office is really impressive because um, for those of you who don't know, a lot of time, the length of a time that films in cinema depends on like the weekend of its box office, particularly with independent Irish films. And I think that was in cinema for like three or four weeks. And it was really interesting because it was very popular among a demographic who would never go to the cinema. They were specifically going for this film. Yeah, one of the things that was interesting when it, like meeting people as it was released and at the film festivals was um, I think a lot of people who really were into it, it was um, it reminded them of their their childhood or growing up. And that might have been 20 years ago, it might have been 40 years ago, uh, which I think is interesting. There's like, you know, I think Patrick and Rob set out to make a film that was a very modern look at rural Ireland and they wanted to get away from some of the kind of cliches and some of the sort of uh, archetypes and they just wanted to paint it as they saw it, the good and the bad. And I think whenever you try and do that, whenever you're sort of, the lens you're looking at it is kind of as balanced as that, you know, or at least you try you try to make it so like, people can find themselves in it very easily. Like, so this is like, a farming landscape, it's a dairy farm, it's a big GA community and whether it's 2021 or you know 40 years ago, I think a lot of that has changed and a lot of it hasn't and I think that was a lot of what, um, that was a lot of the reason the film connected with kind of um, with some older audiences was I think it was very, it was, there was a lot of nostalgia there 
and a lot of like recognition of that world um, and also recognition of how it had changed. And then there's, a, I suppose, a younger audience for for like who will have a very different relationship to it because the, the things that have changed, like I suppose Keane's kind of, um, his relationship to his friends and his, his sort of their very subtle ways of looking out for each other. I think the language around that has changed. The language maybe around how young men talk about what's going on in their lives. I think there's something about the way they discuss things like, you know, their emotional health, their mental health that um, has never changed. You know, there's a sort of an indirect way that you kind of talk about these issues. But it's been interesting to hear people have said like, oh, that's kind of, that's new or the way that they sort of kind of connect with each other. That's maybe a sort of a, a modern kind of thing we've arrived at. So it's been 12 months maybe so the film's been out and has been on the festival circuit. And in that time, you get to meet lots and lots of people who've seen it, who find completely different things in it. Yeah, I'm delighted that that's the case. Yeah, I actually never noticed what you said just there about how like Irish culture has changed, yet it's exactly the same as it was before. So yeah, I, I never thought of it. That's such a good point. Well, it's kind of a tricky one because like some, you know, some things... I think for, like not as much changes as we think, you know, I think actually these things are fairly, you know, they go in cycles and um, like a, a, one thing I really liked about the writing, I like, I mean, I loved this, but one faster, but I really connected with was they never seemed to be kind of, it never seemed to be prescriptive or like, well, you know, here are young men and they can't discuss what's going on for them. I don't think, it was anything as simple as that. It was maybe like, here are these young men and they have a particular language for how they discuss what's going on in their lives. And sometimes it functions well and sometimes it doesn't. Like sometimes it's, it's it doesn't have what, you know, what they need. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's like, I don't think we've discovered that in the last 10 years or I don't think we've discovered like, you know, a way of communicating about, you know, things that maybe not aren't going right in our lives. That's sometimes a bit of like sort of a navel gazing thing that we think we've kind of, we've just sort of discovered. And I like that the, yeah, I like that the film doesn't paint a black and white picture. It just says, no, here's how they communicate. Um, And yeah, I don't think that's new. I think that, you know, goes way back, but I suppose there are maybe different, sort of facets of that communication that are new, uh, I suppose, about stigmas about mental health and the way that we talk about that. Maybe that's been lifted in the last 20 years or so. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a kind of a paradox. It's like everything changes, but nothing changes, yeah. you know? Like the landscape is completely different than what it was 30 years ago, but also some, you know, most of it doesn't really change. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, that's actually really fascinating. I feel like that's just made me look at the film a whole new lens. Um, I suppose talking about the filming process though one thing that Robert and Patrick told me was that you were thrown into a lot of things for training for the film but one of the probably most unusual surprises you got was having to birth a calf um can you tell me what that was like 
I mean, yeah, like that wasn't obviously something you could ever plan on happening. Um, I know it was like, it was the right season for it and stuff. We just, you know, we couldn't, there was a joke about it one day that like that might happen and we'll throw you in there and you'll do it. But yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I mean, I'm being coached through that whole thing by Parik, Paddy's father. It's one of those things, yeah, I, I would have thought, uh, n- no, I couldn't, I couldn't sort of, I'd be very squeamish and all of the rest. But then like anything, once you're sort of doing it and you have no other choice, it becomes, it feels very like natural and normal. And um, yeah, that was like one of those minor miracles you get in a film set where like, you know, the weather is just right. We all happened to be around the farm when it was happening and we were kind of in the right place and we were flexible enough that we could pick that up. So like, that's one of the great things about um, the way we filmed that actually was it was it was very flexible, it was very organic. Like if things changed, we could sort of adapt. You know, if the weather wasn't working, we could adapt. If we, if, you know, if a calf needs to be calved, then we'll adapt to that. So like, it, it was amazing. Yeah, I loved it. And credit to the editor, we did a brilliant job because there's a lot of that that we could not use, I'm sure, where I was totally lost. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, we were kind of charmed through that um, shoot. Like things just went, things just went well. And they don't always, you know. Yeah, I really like this idea now. I feel like there's going to be a trend for any actor who stars in Robert and Patrick's film. They'll just have to do a couple of days on the farm training. Like even if farming isn't in the film, even if they say, we're not doing farming in the script, I feel like they'll just have to do it anyways. It's like a rite of passage just to help Porrick out in the farm. Like if you want to do what Ian Hardwick is doing, yeah. If, yeah, if you really want to capture it authentically, you've got to. Even if you're never farming on the film, you've got to yeah. do three days. I mean, I like I can't stress this enough. I did, I did a day. You know what I mean? I did the crash course. Um, I'd love sometime to get the chance to do like six months of wood turning in preparation for a film, or like six months of. Do you know what I mean? Whatever, like. Uh, yeah, intensive farming. But uh, no, it wasn't that kind of time frame. Like we had very little time before shooting where we could do anything like that. Um, so I got to train. Uh, I got to train with a football team again for the first time in 12 years and do a bit of farming. But um, everything else was just me being coached through it by uh, by either Paddy or his dad, Park. So I was very lucky. It's fantastic. A very unusual experience, I'd say, for filming, but it's a very cool one. Um, I actually, something I read as well was that you use method acting a lot to prepare for roles. And considering your upcoming role in The Sixth Commandments playing Benjamin Fields, I was wondering how does method acting work in a sense where you're playing a character who many consider to be, I suppose, close to evil? Where do you find the balance between trying to like humanise the character and trying to just do justice to the real life person as well. Um, I suppose I I kind of I don't think of I think method acting is kind of loaded. Like I I don't I wouldn't say that I like do that or could do that. I mean, but in the sense that like you put yourself totally in the shoes of the person you're playing. Like yes, I would always do that. I kind of I think there are some people who can kind of do it very technically and they can do things in a kind of you know, they can put a lot of distance between them and who they're playing. I can't do that, I don't think. So it's for me, it's just a thing of like finding out everything you can and then putting yourself in those shoes and and almost trying to think about it as like, 
I suppose like putting on a wearing someone else's clothes like you're not it's it's kind of it's it's imagination and it's play and it, it's sort of closer to those things than to literally into the thing and I think that's a very obvious thing to say but it's kind of a subtle difference and then probably thinking less about humanizing them and more just going I'm just going to try and very objectively sit sit into their kind of experience and see the world as they did um, and when it's a real person I suppose the, you know lucky thing is you have a lot of uh, information to sort of use and to kind of fuel your imagination. And then the tricky thing is you're, you know, you're trying not to be inhibited by that or, you know, just do a kind of impression or, um, yeah. Or if it's someone who's done dreadful things, then, you know, in a way you need to sort of push that to the side of your mind for, the, for, for the duration and just, yeah, kind of play it as objectively as you can. So it, it was definitely a challenge. Like it's not something I'd done before and it brings its own challenges of kind of being clear sighted about it the whole way and not allowing the narrative of the story impact what you're thinking. Sometimes I think you've got to kind of, you're obviously telling the story, but you've got to just stay in your lane and almost not think of what, you know, what else is going on in the writing. You've got to sort of stay in your own kind of um, headspace. And I felt that was probably the challenge with that role, you know. Um, I was really interested to ask as well, what was it like working with Timothy Spall? Like he is, he's such a legend, like he's an iconic actor. Oh, like couldn't be luckier, you know, with all, with all of the cast and that. But yeah, I worked, worked a lot with, with Tim and then Anne Reid, um, you know, two incredible actors and just really generous actors, really like generous with their time really funny, which I think helps, you know, they, you know, they were very, um, I felt very at ease, I suppose, around them. And I think that's down to their kind of charm, but remarkable actors. Like I, every day was, felt like a bit of an apprenticeship, um, learning from them and not even just in, you know, what they'd tell you or what they might impart, but just watching them work and the way they carry themselves. Um, you know, I was a huge fan of, uh, Tim's work before going in and yeah it was incredible to get to see that up close and and just a lot of fun you know I mean that's the thing with when you're working with actors who are that good they they kind of make it interesting they make you know they hopefully get something better out of you because you're just you know I think that's what when you say when people say generous acting that's what they mean it's like they're very they're giving you loads it makes your job quite, you know, quite a bit easier. So yeah, I learned a huge amount and was, yeah, was really grateful to get that experience. The whole cast and that were remarkable, you know, um, really brilliant actors and never for a minute did it feel kind of like, did I feel on the outside of it or, or like I was the kind of newcomer. They were, they, they made it all feel very sort of democratic and yeah, it was amazing. I can't wait to see it like it, it sounds like it'd be fantastic between like the caliber of the acting and the story itself is quite um it's quite harrowing, harrowing. Yeah. yeah it really is and it like it couldn't be in better hands I think with than you know Sarah Phelps and Saul Dib um they've worked together before and it's it was amazing writing it was kind of 
it wasn't like any kind of genre or, or thing I'd read before. It, it was just very uh, careful and and like brave writing because, you know, they're it's handling something very sensitive and, you know, there's, um, yeah, there was a lot of sort of due diligence required and they were, they were the best people to handle that, I think. Um, they were, yeah, the scripts are amazing. So, like, I mean, in the past few years, you've had such a rise. You've had two hit TV shows. You're at the lead of an Irish independent film, which did amazingly well, and I think is going to stay in memory for a long time. And you have two more shows coming up. What do you think is next for you in terms of what you're hoping to do or what's coming your way? Like, what do you want to conquer next? There's never, a, like, a, a list or a thing, actually. It's just, like, the great thing is, you know, to work. Yeah. If you yeah. obviously, which is precious enough, um, but to be surprised, I suppose you know. I just want to constantly, if I you know, get things that challenge you, um, things that you've never done before. Um, but yeah, just to keep working. Um, would love to do. Uh, would love to get on stage soon. Um, yeah, I would really love that. But um, no, it's the great thing is the surprise of it, you know, and not really knowing where the next thing is coming. I say the great thing. It's also the worst thing about it. But, you know, you take them, you take them both. Yeah. Hopefully there's a happy character in store because I've noticed that like a lot of your characters are quite, um, they have hard lives or it's tough. Hopefully something comedic will come up or something. I don't know. I mean, I suppose... Yeah, that, that's where the that seems to be where the drama is, or the stories are told. Is like people who have hired lives, or things where things aren't going quite to plan. But uh, I mean, I'd love to. Do, you'd love to do a rom com or something like that. Um, although I think that's probably the hardest. I think that might be the hardest stuff to do. Actually, comedy so hard. But yeah, I mean that would be amazing. Definitely something a bit something a bit happier would be uh, would be nice. <laughs> just some notes for any directors out there listening to cast in a Hardwick in a rom-com I think the people would show up so it should be done yeah sorry, <laughs> reminds me as well like uh, in terms of method acting I just remember um I think there's like this quote from Robert Pattinson where he's basically saying like the only people who do method acting they only do method acting like when they're assholes or something but yeah. you can method yeah. act as a happy person like that'd be great I know, yeah, he said, yeah, you never see um, like people doing method acting in a comedy yeah, or something like that. And I think yeah. uh, he's onto something there. Um, but, you know, when uh, even when the subject matter is really difficult, like if if you're working with if you're working with good people, like that's one of the things I love about that job. It's just a good way to spend a day. Like, you know what I mean? It's very like it's very social. Uh, it's a very social job, I think, um, at the best of times. And that's when it's, that's when it feels like the work is at its best as well, is like when you're all kind of communicating, not when everyone is sort of boxed in and in their own lanes as well. So whatever, uh, yeah, whatever comes next. So I suppose just to wrap it up, what advice would you have for anyone out there that could be doing acting, could be doing anything, or even just for a younger self, what do you think has been the most important lesson you've learned over the years that you'd like to give to others? Um, yeah, just I thought about this and because I, you know, I, in the one hand, you've not kind of, I've not, I don't feel I have any great advice to give other than like, just keep, keep, um, keep making things and keep 
doing whatever you can. Like I always think, you know, acting is a sort of trade or it's a muscle, you know, whatever way you want to look at it, but it needs, you know, it needs kind of working and same for directing, writing for whatever sort of department it is or whatever area it is, um, just get involved. And I think for me, uh, since leaving college, a lot of that has meant like finding like-minded people who you can do things with. So whether it's making your own work and not even, not even just making your own work, but just finding people who are kind of interested in the same things and who you feel you have this kind of similar taste to. I think if you find your tribe, you can kind of, it, it just, you know, it, it, it kind of immerses you in it a bit more. Um, because I suppose the hardest thing in, in any part of this industry is just getting work and being able to do it regularly. You know, we all just want to be doing it all of the time, but then you can't because there's only X amount and there's a lot of people out there doing it as well. So it's like finding a way that you can do it at whatever sort of, whatever that means, um, just get involved and do it. And yeah, I'm just a big believer in like kind of put in the hours and you will, you will get somewhere with it. Um, yeah. And then, and as I say, finding your kind of finding your people, finding people who, who kind of inspire you or give you energy to do it. Um, cause it's, it's hard if you're sort of just in isolation kind of, feeling like there's, you don't know where to start or you don't know kind of how you begin. Um, yeah, finding people who are in a similar position. It's really great advice. I think it's advice a lot of people will probably take with them if they listen to this. Um, so yeah, I think that wraps us up for today, very sadly. But Aina, thank you so much for coming on. You were phenomenal. This will be in the archives of UCC forever. They're never going to let this go or delete it. So you're, you're just going to have to live with that no matter what. But, uh, That's a terrifying thought. So yeah, if I've said anything dreadful, you know, just yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, Uh Yeah, he wanted me to edit this and they'd be like, don't, don't do it. We, whatever he says. Um, we'll do it live. Oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, I wish you the best of luck in future. Cannot wait for the Doll Factory and the Six Commandments. Thank you so much for coming on. It was fantastic to have you. Okay. No worries. Um, listen, thanks a million. Talk to you soon. Yeah. And uh, good luck. Thanks. Bye. Good luck with See you, Shan. So yeah, that just finished off our episode for this week. I had a great time chatting to Nana. I think he's someone you could listen to for hours like he has just such an insightful take on everything and I can't wait to see his work in the future like I think he he already is one of the biggest rising actors in Ireland but he's just so talented and I think maybe even a year or two down the line I feel like he's going to be heralded as one of Ireland's greats like um, definitely up there Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson types I'd say. So next week I'll be doing an episode on the 1997 animated Japanese film Perfect Blue which definitely sounds a bit weird, but the film pretty much predicted the rise of stan culture 20 years later, and the parallels between that and the present are quite unnerving. So I'm looking forward to that episode. Otherwise, I hope all of you have a fantastic week. Thanks to Aina again for coming on. It's very much appreciated. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode and might stick around for some more in the future. Have a great week, and I'll be seeing you very soon. Goodbye. <laughs>